0: Welcome to this very special edition of the Sports Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Bassam, and on this week's show, we have Sabrina Ibáñez. Now, one of the most interesting parts about my job and the Sports Pro Podcast and Sports Pro is the access that we get to some of the most influential figures in the industry. Sabrina is certainly one of those figures. She's been Secretary General of the FEI since 2015, which means that she has a say not just in how her sport is run, but also has access to some of the key power brokers for arguably the world's biggest sporting event in the Olympic Games and shaping how that organisation and that event is run too. I guess having been Secretary General of the FEI since 2015 has seen some enormous change in her own organisation but also in the IOC too. Now what follows is a conversation between me and Sabrina where we cover a range of different topics about not just a question, but leading diverse organisations, and also the changing times that we live in. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's have a listen. So, where I kind of wanted to start is with some questions around gender-related challenges. Now, look, you are one of less than ten general secretaries among the Olympic federations who are female. I think I'm right in saying that is correct. So. Before we sort of talk about some of the bigger gender-related challenges in sport, and I'm not just talking about equestrian here, but broader Olympic level sport, do we have to talk about underrepresentation of females at that senior level before we start talking about the other problems?
1: Uh, No, absolutely. I think uh, in order for it to really remain a a topic where people are really going to address it, it's important to have people on the board or in charge of a sport that are from the opposite sex that can really provide their input as well. As you mentioned, out of 39 Summer Olympic International Federations, there's only nine of us. It has increased, I'll have to say that much. When I started as Secretary General for the FEI, we were, I don't know, maybe five or something like that. So now we're nine, so that's good. But it's not enough when you think about it. And then when you look at also the presidencies of international sports organizations, there are only three women Who hold the position? In order for sport to really keep it as an important topic, you really need somebody on top to to make sure that it is discussed, that it's on the front burner and not the back burner.
0: So how do we start with that? I mean, putting in practical measures in place a regulatory level, or does it need to be sort of more organic than that?
1: There are some approaches where some international federations are putting in quotas and others like us were not putting in quotas, but we are really actively encouraging that women put forward their candidature for technical committees or, or whatever it may be to ensure that we have representation on the top. Since I became secretary general in 2015, We can see that there is a difference already because, uh, for instance, in our technical committees, 28% of the applicants were female. And since I became secretary general, we have now 40%. It's basically if Sabrina can do it, so can I type of thing. So it is really important to have role models um, that people feel comfortable and and, uh, because in the end, it's not rocket science.
0: At SportsPro, we recently released a podcast on this feed with all of the women in our company, and they talked about some of those challenges of not being able to see other people in their positions and that actually being off-putting in terms of even applying in the first place. Is that something that you found commonly?
1: Absolutely. You know, there are a lot of also invisible barriers. And if you don't see another woman do the job, then you're like, well, maybe, you know what, maybe this is just, they're not going to accept me. Also, it's important not only to have one woman in in place, in boards, for example, or on boards, Um, it's important to have two because if you're just one, you're not really gonna dare to say much in a board meeting. But if you see more than one on there, you'll see that the conversation is a lot more open. So it is really, really important. For me, what's really important is to really demonstrate that, it's, okay, yeah, of course, uh, we're half the population, so <laughs> it makes sense to have us on board. But really, the, the benefits of having women on board, and not only benefit of having women on board, but also having more an inclusive and representative board, because there you're going to get other views, which are really important, especially in this evolving times that we are right now, where everything's changing really quickly. So it's important to get other people's input as well to make the best changes and be innovative if you want.
0: Mm, And it also, I guess, also helps in solving some of those unconscious biases, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And there are a lot of invisible barriers that we don't even consider because the rules of the game were established by men. Some things they don't even think about. It's interesting. Yesterday I was at a sports conference, the ISC, and the name of the panel that I was on was Women in Sport. That already in itself, that name is an invisible barrier because you're going to think, I'm not going to go to that panel discussion because they're only going to talk about women's stuff. So it already creates a barrier and it's not just about women. It's about a bigger question, a bigger topic. So uh, we need to address these proactively. All you've been seeing also in um, there are now a number of of other sports organizations that are looking at things like, why are we forcing young girls to wear white shorts? You know, That's ridiculous. And, And it made me think also, maybe we should also think in my sport. I hadn't even thought about it. That maybe white breeches or jodhpurs should be optional. These are just barriers that we don't even think about, but we have to start thinking, asking these questions. What
0: are the things that you're doing differently at the FEI compared to federations on those in those diversity and inclusion areas?
1: Well, one of the things that we did many years ago and we've now upgraded is that we freeze the ranking points for our female riders. And now we've made their access back into the sport even easier than it was before. So that's one thing that we're doing for the athletes. Another thing that we do is that when we do receive candidacies for different positions within the FEI committees, of course, we know we need the best person for the job. That's number one. Expertise is number one. But if there are two candidates that have similar backgrounds, we recommend that somebody from the other gender, and I mean other gender because some committees are populated mostly by women is represented on that committee. So that's one of the things that we do. In addition to that, at our headquarters, what we have done is we have increased maternity leave for our female employees to six months. And one of the things that I also did immediately almost was increase the paternity leave for the guys at work too, because I mean, it's normal. We need men at home also to help women in their chores and whatever it may be. So um, so those are just some of the examples that we're doing inside of the FEI.
0: I think that paternity thing is really interesting. I'm speaking as a man, obviously. Uh, it's a very different child policy from the UK, where we're recording this, to, say, like the Nordic countries, where you get that balance, where they can split a certain amount of time between the two parents um, in order to do that. And it actually creates the idea that it's not just the women's responsibility to stay home and you can divide up that role. Like, uh, Was that in your thinking when you put in place that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, OK, yeah, you're saying big deal, Sabrina. You increase it to four. But it was two before. And they want to help especially the new generation, they really do. They want to be more implicated in the education of their kids, but they just don't have the opportunity or it just is maybe socially acceptable. So we need to put in practices that will actually help them to stay home. And I mean, I have absolutely no problem with men saying to me, uh, listen, Sabrina, I'd like to reduce my work at the FEI and move down to 70%, 80% or whatever it is. We encourage women to do it as well. We don't say you necessarily have to stay 100% after your maternity, because I know having been there, that, you know, you're going you're gonna to do the job anyways. So flexibility is important and life balance is essential. Can we go back to what you were talking about with
0: your athletes as well, the female ranking points? If you could just explain that, am I right in thinking that that is to do with allowing them a break to come off to deal with whatever really it doesn't necessarily have to be having children?
1: Absolutely. But you won't lose your ranking points, which is very important because when you're on the top it, you've got, it's taken you a long time to get there. You want to be able to, you know, have them frozen. And then you have the opportunity to decide when you want to come back. We've made changes to that to make it easier to come back. First, we were more strict. It's like, okay, you have to take a year off or whatever it was. And now it's like, okay, after six, three months, whatever it may be, you have the opportunity to come back uh, little by little or or as you want, but uh, you just need to announce it. So it's become a lot simpler for, for our female writers to come back now. But this is really new. The maternity, freezing the points, we put already in place maybe 11 years ago. And I think we were the first international federation that did that. Also, you have to understand that Fortunately, our sport is gender neutral. Men and women compete on an equal basis. So that also changes the whole mindset. I mean, nobody was super surprised when I became secretary general, even though I am the first secretary general of the FEI in the hundred and whatever years of existence, because they're used to seeing women in control or in power or whatever it may be. And we've had three female presidents before, before I became secretary general. So it's, it's not that bizarre to see a woman um, in charge compared to other Olympic sports where it's maybe not as simple for them. And I, myself, I was kind of surprised when I became secretary general and I went to these big meetings in the Olympic or Paralympic movement. And I said, hey, there, there, there are actually not a lot of us out there. But it's changing, but a little bit slowly.
0: You talked about those meetings that you go into, lots of other men in the room. What are you doing as a federation to try and change those behaviours outside of your federation with those other organisations that are perhaps not in the same position that you are. Maybe they don't even have the same natural advantages as a sport that you do in right. being able to promote that gender, in, like that gender inclusion.
1: Well, I'm really lucky that I have a couple of roles outside my role as FIA uh, Secretary General. I'm president of the Association of Paralympic Sports Organisations, which means that those disciplines that are included in the Paralympic movement were kind of like an umbrella organisation. And I'm also um, the chair of the Gender Diversity and Inclusion Group of ASOIF, which is the Association of Summer Olympic International Federations. That's a lot of information. (laughs) But what I'm trying to get at is that in those roles as president and chair of that specific working group, what I have done personally is insist that we give coaching courses to women in the Paralympic movement and women in the Olympic movement. So um, by this woman, her name is Gabriela Mendoza-Muller, and she's a coach that empowers women uh, and gives them tools to help them progress in their careers so they can seek other positions within the organization. It's been extremely successful. For instance, I'm not saying it's the only reason why she became president, but the current president of the International Table Tennis Federation, she she attended one of those courses. What Gabriela does as well is that she provides the do's and the don'ts when you're on a campaign, an electoral campaign. So um, it's good stuff. So that's what I'm doing to help other organizations. What's it
0: like when you get into the rooms and try and have those conversations like at uh- of just trying to change minds on a sort of person-to-person basis. Are you, is, are you able to do that within your role as well when you're at a big IOC meeting? Is it easy to challenge some of those conventions that
1: exist? You know, it's not e- nothing's easy in life, but you do it anyways because, first of all, it's the right thing to do, and plus it's fun to do it. <laughs> so, uh, for instance, what we have done is uh, made sure that the statutes of the Association of Summer Olympic Federations do not have he as the dominant word in the, in the rules, but it's rather he-she, or, you know, just change that language. Those biases that exist, you don't even realize. And then with uh, with IPC, I was part of the governance working group as well that made some significant changes as, as well, ensuring that there is more female representation on the board. And we're seeing that as well nowadays. So,
0: Aside from some of those things, how has is, how is your involvement with the Association of Paralympic Sports impacted your leadership?
1: Well, I have to say that... Uh, because I am very much involved in that, now it's really at the forefront of everything that I think. For instance, at our headquarters in Lausanne uh, for the FEI, we had accessibility for wheelchairs and whatever, but it, wasn't, it was kind of complicated. You have to take an elevator to get here, to get there. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I hadn't thought about it before. So we bulldozed basically a hallway to make sure that it was flat, that there would be no difficulty, whatever, to get into the FEI or get out of the FEI. Um, so that's one thing. And also what I'm thinking about nowadays more than I ever used to do, even though I am of Hispanic origin, is that we need to not only think about gender, but inclusivity when it comes to, yeah, okay, abled and disabled, but also representation of other groups other ethnic groups, it's really important, so um so that's how it has affected me t- as well. Just being involved in the Paralympic movement is seeing things with uh with a different lens mm. uh,
0: I think that like it's it's really interesting to hear talk about just like bulldozing corridors and all that kind of stuff because actually like those are the things that are so basic, but so many organizations don't do.
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of things that's so basic that people don't even start to consider. Uh, for instance, uh, providing in female bathrooms for women, sanitary napkins and stuff like that. So they, they don't have to feel embarrassed or rush around the office looking for a tampon or something. You know what I'm saying? Th- that make you uncomfortable, make you uncomfortable and you don't work as well. It's just these things that we don't necessarily think about that may render your work more difficult and maybe you're not as active as you should be and don't feel as comfortable in your own skin. That you do, and in the end, is if, if you're if you're comfortable with your with your gender, with your sexuality, with your religion, and you feel that your voice is appreciated, you're going to do a better job. And if you do a better job, our sport is going to do better.
0: Something that we talk about quite a lot here is the idea of diversity and inclusion initiatives shouldn't necessarily be something that you think of as like a challenge to overcome. They should actually be seen as a solution.
1: As Absolutely. And that is going on to the next point. For me, it's really important to show the benefits of it, not, not just be, oh, we have the right. <laughs> We're half of the population or whatever it is. It really should be, this is something that makes sense. This is something that is going to benefit the sport. Why are you going to miss out on an incredible opportunity, especially when this world is evolving like crazy right now and there's so many different sports going out there and there's a lot of competition. Let's just do the best for, you know, let's get more people in to discuss things so that we can be more innovative and uh, make the necessary changes without making huge risks or whatever it is, but just, just uh, do a better job.
0: Absolutely. And um, I'd like to talk about some of the initiatives that the FUI is undertaking in Parasport. Firstly, you launched the Para Equestrian Digest last year.
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
0: Firstly, could you just explain what that is a little bit to people who aren't aware?
1: Yeah, so that that's kind of like a blog type um magazine, if you want, where para athletes explain their pathways and they do it in their own words. So, we created it also to, because I mean, the Paralympic Games only take place every four years, was really to keep the interest in para dressage going and para driving as well, which is with the carriages, huh? just for the avoidance of any doubt. And, uh, and then you really hear, you know, just really authentic anecdotes or things that have happened in these people's lives. And make people just more aware of how they're feeling or what some of the situations that they've been confronted with. They're beautiful stories and I really encourage everybody to read them. But um, yeah, it's just to keep, you know, everybody on board and just don't forget about the Paralympics and especially para dressage and para <laughs> driving.
0: What was the thinking behind launching that? You've talked a little bit about maintaining the stories. What were the conversations? What were the discussions in the FAI that went, like, OK, I think we need to do this?
1: We are seeing that the sport is growing considerably, but we just wanted to really make sure that people don't lose track of the beautiful sport that we have and that we are governing. We were one of the first federations to take on para within the FEI, within an international sports organization. So we just really wanted to make sure that we're on top of things. I think there's still more that we can do and we will continue to work to really promote the sport a bit more. It's interesting because after the Paralympic Games here in 2012, apparently because of all the great work that you guys did here in the UK with Channel 4 and all the funny anecdotes and. stuff whatever that was on, and keeping people involved. Apparently five years later, one million people with disabilities had a job that they didn't have before. So we're not going to get to that level, of course, but it's it's our little way of, uh, of also just keeping on the, the front burner rather than keeping on the back burner.
0: Is that the sole goal or are there more goals for doing these kind of initiatives?
1: First of all, it's a beautiful sport. I mean, when you see the bond between the para-athlete and the horse, I don't think you'll see that anywhere else in the world. It's really a family bond that they have between each other. So it's just being able to share the love with everybody. How
0: do you go about kind of telling those stories? Like, so you've got this magazine, but you also build that into your socials and your, your external storytelling too, maybe bringing in the Olympic channel and what the O C can do too?
1: Yeah, we haven't actually followed up on the Olympic channel on that. And for the moment, it's really very internal. We do it on our social channels for the moment. But the most important thing I think about the Para Question Digest is that it's the writers themselves that are actually telling those stories it's not us you know reporting on them it's we're using their words it's a lot more authentic and it's a lot more impactful
0: i was talking with some folks at the uci recently and they've got their first ever joint world championships for all these disciplines that's happening in scotland this year and they were talking about the kind of the power of using athletes for storytelling and the difference they see in the reach that they get when they tap into that as opposed to just them creating their own content
1: Well, and that's true. I mean, if you look at the generations nowadays, they're not, okay, they're interested in what happens, you know, during a game or whatever it may be. But what they really want to know is behind the scenes. You know, what is it like to wake up in the morning? Are you in a good mood or in a bad mood? What are some of the experiences that you may have had? You know, they want to get closer and you're closer to the athlete. You don't have to be even a famous athlete. So it's really important to do that.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: One of the things that we do also is that we ensure when you're bidding for a dressage world championship or a European championship, we put in the bid guide as well that you should also bid for the para-dressage championship.
0: Is that like a mandatory statute that they have to host it to?
1: They don't have to, but you're more likely to get it if you do that. And that's always been the case.
0: (laughs) That's Really important, isn't it, in terms of providing that platform for para-athletes?
1: Absolutely. It's really sweet when the para-athletes, then afterwards, maybe they receive the medals in the same arena that the dressage medalists get it. And then you have that big, you know, crowd of people there. It's it's a good thing. Smart thing.
0: The other area I wanted to go into was We The 15. Yeah. It might be better if you were able to kind of describe or explain what that is.
1: We are 15% of the world population, basically. Disabled people are 15%. That was an initiative of IPC to really reach out to the world to make sure that these voices are heard. And I think it was quite successful, but they need to continue working on it to make sure that it remains in everybody's thoughts Like we're trying to do in our own small way with the ParaQuestion Digest. It's a campaign to open awareness about it.
0: I think I'm right in saying that the Paris Games will be the second games where We the 15 will sort of be an active campaign. How are some of its goals being integrated into what you guys do at the FEI?
1: Kind of copying the strategy by the initiatives that we're taking in-house especially with this Digest. Also, another thing that we are doing now, um, that which we hadn't really done before, and it's kind of like, why didn't we think about this before, is that we are including also some of our athletes as well in when we're looking at, at venues to look at accessibility. It sounds like a given, but we hadn't really done that before. We just had some, you know, conditions, but now we're making sure their thoughts is really part of it. So it's really working together with them to make sure that we have the best place for them to have their championships
0: looking ahead to paris then so like what's the sort of venue setup looking like there
1: oh my goodness it looks really good we're gonna be in versailles Ooh. yeah you can say that again <laughs> i wonder
0: why you picked that one no, <laughs> no we
1: didn't we didn't we didn't anyway that wasn't the fbi pushing for versailles but we were not unhappy that that happened there so it's it's a fantastic stage to celebrate all our disciplines the three olympic and the paralympic discipline as well Wonderful backdrop to have the Versailles Chateau behind our athletes. We're looking forward, and I understand that the tickets for a question might have all been sold already, So, which is a good thing for us, but at the same time, I just feel bad for those people who maybe didn't get a ticket, but uh, hopefully there'll be more tickets that will be released. Because the third biggest sport in France is a question sport. Football first, rugby, and believe it or not, a question sport. I did not know that. Yeah, so there you go.
0: So in some ways, the question's coming home? Yeah. <laughs> So I want to, to change what we're talking about slightly and talk about LGBTQ plus issues. Now, like a question is gender neutral sport, yeah. which I guess kind of makes some of this a lot easier. How does it actually change your approach compared to, say, other Summer Olympic federations?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, we're lucky that this is not an issue. And then we have a lot of, uh, for instance, high profile people in the community that have absolutely no problem, you know, talking about their sexuality, whatever it may be, thankfully. So it's not really a big issue, and then we don't really have problems with transgenders or whatever because there is no difference. The only thing that we do need to look at is the fact that in our database, we're going to have to start figuring out, because now it is male or female, so we're going to have to start thinking about sooner rather than later what kind of options need to be made available if you don't want to identify with one sex or another. But otherwise, I have to say we're very lucky that that's not an issue. It doesn't make any difference what sex you are or what if you don't even want to identify yourself with a special gender. So,
0: Does this mean that then that you can have slightly different conversations when it comes to inclusivity for those groups? I guess thinking about it in a way of like, we can celebrate these athletes in a way that maybe other sports can't? Absolutely. And how do you do that?
1: I don't know yet. <laughs> we can celebrate them, but it's true that we haven't uh, necessarily done that. Because it just—I think it's one of those things that you just don't think about, you know. Because it hasn't been an issue, but since it is becoming an issue elsewhere, we need to take our responsibility and we need to start thinking about how we need to celebrate. Yeah.
0: Does that go back then to what we were talking about earlier about addressing those unconscious biases? Do you think?
1: Absolutely. One of the things that we will be doing, which we have been discussing this year, is doing a survey. I uh, just got to figure out how we're going to do this, though, and and reaching out to the athletes themselves and seeing what it is that they believe should be done to better promote them, to help women athletes stay on the top more. Uh, because when you look at the, the level underneath, 75% of our riders are women. But when you get to the top, there are very, very, very few, very few in jumping. Not in the other disciplines, but in jumping, which is our biggest discipline. So we want to understand what barriers are there that are preventing them to to stay up there. And interesting enough, the baby boomers in Generation X, there were more women uh, in the top of the rankings than there are nowadays. So we need to address this um, proactively. But it's not only about gender, as you mentioned before. We also should be looking at other issues as well. So we will be reaching out and trying to figure out how we can improve things.
0: Hmm. Is it about for you or for the FEI in general, maybe finding some like some champions who were willing to kind of raise themselves up and say, "Yeah, I want to be the representative for this sport and talk about these kind of
1: issues." Yeah, be an ambassador type. Yeah, that could be totally possible.
0: Um, why do you think kind of it's we've not had that before?
1: Well, you know that's a very good question. Why haven't we had that before? We have had some ambassadors, but the truth of the matter is that maybe in our sport, unlike other sports, maybe yeah, we are so focused on the horse as well and what needs to be done for the welfare of the horse and how to take care of the horse. A lot of our athletes, it's not just about themselves. It's more about them as a team, them as their horse. So they're not maybe as open as other athletes will be because they're thinking more about the entourage, their team, and also about their specific horse and horses. So maybe that's why it is our riders are a little bit different than other athletes in that aspect. Because it's a full-time job, you can't put the horse in a cupboard like you would do with a racket. It's twenty-four-seven, huh? so that may be also one of the the differences that we have in other sports that uh, our athletes, in some aspects, are are less perhaps vocal. Right now, I'm just guessing.
0: Hey, I, yeah, I don't. I kind of, I don't want to push too hard into something if there's. Um if it's not a clear answer, because I think every organisation deserves a chance to figure out these things, because it's, it's such a changing conversation and, and like such a difficult one to have. I would like to talk about trans-inclusivity, because you're right, like, you're a gender-neutral sport, you don't have to have these problems. You talked about some of the, like, the way that people want to be referred to, and in a similar way that you've had that, those conversations about gender. Does this mean that you as a federation are able to, and um, perhaps better placed to help lead when it comes to other sports in the Olympic world, on that subject it's nowhere near as easy for athletics for example or cycling to have those conversations
1: yeah i don't think we can compare you can't compare our sports to other sports huh, for that matter i mean so it would be very difficult for the fei to tell the others how to address it because it's it's not the same it really is not the same the level playing field is not the same there is no difference so how how i would be very difficult for me to tell others what they should do or give them advice on how they should address it. Unless they had more disciplines where women and men compete.
0: I guess when you're in those meetings and you're at those, uh, at those committees, now I don't profess to be a real expert in how those work. Are you maybe then well-placed as a sort of a mediator to, to be like, look, we don't have any skin in this game. Like for us, it's not a problem, but perhaps we can sit in the middle and offer a neutral opinion.
1: Well, that we can always do.
0: Is that something you'd perhaps look to pursue?
1: Well, now that you mention it, yeah, perhaps. But I, it didn't really. It really hasn't been. Um, we haven't thought about it.
0: Okay, fair enough. I, I feel like we've talked quite a lot about. Well, we have talked about some quite difficult subjects. But I'd like to talk about sort of. How uh, a equestrian develops and how you see it changing, or if if change is needed at all, from a kind of growth perspective. We're coming up to the next Olympics; it's about a year out. It talks about the great venue that you've got and the kind of perception and the sort of the backdrop that you guys will have as athletes, and the framing for that's going to be beautiful. But how are you trying to like modernise the FEI? Because as you said, it's a very old federation; it's been going for a long time. The sport is very traditional. Yeah. How do you sort of marry up the, the changing times with that heritage? I think this is the best way of putting it.
1: Okay, this is, there's a lot of questions in your question, but that's okay. I will address them, or I will try to. So, first of all, how are we doing when it comes to level of competitions or level of events throughout the world? Are we developing? Do we have more events? Yes, the, question, the answer is yes. We have seen an incredible growth of our sport over the years. Currently, our best year was 2019. Then we had COVID. Then we also had an equine virus which stopped competition in Europe for eight weeks, more or less, six or eight weeks. However, having said that, we probably have more events than many other sports organizations. We have this year, for the moment, 4,500 international events in our calendar. And it's throughout the world. When I started at the FEI, believe it or not, I started in 1991. So I've been with this organization quite a bit of time. We had very few events compared to what we have now. And they were mostly in Europe and in North America. Now we see that the sport is, it has developed all over the all over the world, in the Middle East, some countries in North Africa, in South America. So the sport is doing well because the sport is it's a sport, but it's also an industry. And it's a lifestyle if you want, unlike maybe other sports. Maybe even golf is probably is a lifestyle as well. We have this whole calendar rule, you know, and date clashes and whatever it is. And before we hardly had any date clashes on a weekend for the high level events. Now it's like all over the place because there are more people riding, there are more events. And so the sport is doing well. How do we keep innovative? Okay, so there has been a shift over the years as well in the management within the FEI. We started hiring people maybe 15 years ago that were not from the sport in order to get their know-how and their knowledge to modernize the sport from the way it looks and to have new strategies in place so that, uh, that we can attract more sponsors or whatever it may be or portray it better on our social channels, that kind of stuff. So that's one way we have been doing it. We work a lot on trying to improve it so that those that do not understand the sport also may become more interested with uh, different apps that they can follow when they're at events so they can understand what's going on. So it's a constant thing, but it is traditional. That is for sure. But we try to present it in a more innovative way than we have in the past and maybe than some other sports. But there's still a lot we can do and also learn from other sports organizations.
0: Can you give me some examples of those innovative approaches? you're
1: So, okay, well, there's one thing that we have. For instance, it's called the Dressar's Judging app. And when you go to certain events, not all events, but you go to certain events, you can yourself have some fun And give your scores for the dressage performances. And then at the end of the event, the one that was closest to the judge's actual scoring, you know, there's a big announcement of that person. So it makes it more interactive. Um, One of the things that we were the first international sports federations to do was to have an OTT platform. And you're probably surprised to hear that. What? Question sport? OTT platform? We put that into place uh, in 2008, I think it was. So we were already at that time understanding that, you know, we had to be a little proactive on that. And now we have improved uh, that OTT platform to make it more attractive and whatnot. With our cameras, we're trying to make it more interesting. We have uh, now spider cameras that fall we put the microphones on the footing itself so that you can actually hear the thunder of the horse when it's going and it's about to make that jump so that you feel that you're more present so i mean there are a number of things but again there's so much more that we can do and hopefully we will be able to do
0: i'd like to pick up on the app and also the ott platform as well so the goals for that is that about better understanding your fan so you can kind of feed them what you want? Or is it simply about creating reach and ensuring that you're being put in front of the eyeballs that you want
1: to It's both. Simple as that. It's both. We are now conducting a research as well as to understand who our fans are, demographics and all that kind of stuff. We did it five years ago. That was an interesting study. But yeah, it's being able to reach also those that maybe just like to ride, to go on hacks. And we want them to have a possibility to view our our events as well. So it's important.
0: All right. I I think I probably just about exhausted my questions I'm exhausted too okay (laughs) (laughs) Sabrina thank you very much for your time I really appreciated it I hope that um, yeah I hope that listeners find that as interesting as I did
1: thank you very
0: much appreciate it bye bye